0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the New Books and Literary Studies channel. My name is Dan Moran, and I'm thrilled to be here today with Anatoly Lieberman, author of over 20 books on language, and most recently, take my word for it, A Dictionary of English Idioms, to be published in January 2023 by the University of Minnesota Press. Welcome, Anatoly welcome to you and thank you very much for contacting me sure so before we talk about the book i want to get a little into your your fascinating job description so you work at the university of minnesota as a professor of germanic philology so please well, tell everybody out there that's you know, not
1: entirely true uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the department of of german that is that is where i began my work okay uh, then uh, it was uh, the scandinavian department was um, added to it uh, the name was getting longer and longer, and the department smaller and smaller. Uh, so as a result, I'm a professor in the department of German, Scandinavian, and Nordic, um, De, uh, Dutch, uh, Slavic, Slavic, and Dutch. And philology was indeed why I was hired so many years ago. Uh, but I would rather say that I'm now a professor of linguistics and and the Middle Ages.
2: Okay. So, what are some of your? Before we get into the book, you know, um, what are some of your your enthusiasms? What are the things that get you interested? What are what what are things that a philologist or a linguist studies?
1: Well, philology is a very broad term, and uh, it means both language and literature because the word was coined, I think, more or less probably in in our in our in our sense of the word, probably by mid nineteenth century Germans and uh, where there was no distinction between linguistics and literature because there was practically no linguistics. Everything was one branch. Today, these are different areas. One thing is linguistics, one thing is literature, and I'm in both. Uh, so when I say philology, uh, it's really
2: medieval philology, Germanic philology. So history of language and history of literature. Okay, great. So. Let's move on to your newest book. Let's move on to take my word for it. So tell everybody out there listening, you know, what is an idiom?
1: I'm afraid there is no way I can define it to everybody's satisfaction. But the simplest uh, definition, and the simplest definition is never very good, is that if you have more than one word, and uh, and this combination uh, is important because it produces or yields a meaning of its own, then it's an idiom. And there are many such words. Sometimes uh, it's almost one word. For example, you know what give means and you know what up means, but that won't help you at all in guessing what to give up means. Uh, And that's of course the horror that all foreigners (laughs) know. Uh, Even uh, even something much simpler, like uh, stand up to or for something, and you aren't supposed to stand up. And when you stand down, you're not supposed to stand down. And then there are phrases uh, which we use almost automatically, sight unseen, that's an idiom. And there, or something very long, uh, raining cats and dogs or whatever. So let's say that if there are more than one word, and in order to understand the meaning of this combination, you have to learn the meaning, the sense, or look it up if you happen to be a miserable foreigner uh, that's an idiom
2: yeah so the, the the whole of the idiom's meaning is greater than the sum of its parts because the individual definitions it's don't help you
1: sometimes because when you give something up uh, you don't give anything and you don't go up anywhere right,
2: right. you rather okay. go down <laughs> well to use another idiom let's dive in to your book here so you you open the book with a preface and i want to quote you from this you say that this book is quote better than a thriller. And better than a novel because you can open it at any page, go forward or backward, and find oneself neck deep in never-ending intrigue. Now, I love that. Now, I know you're being humorous there, but there's something to this because later in your introduction, you talk about the intrigue and the allure of tracking down the sources of idioms, right? So, what's it like to chase the history of a, of a single idiom? Like you have these phrases like "go the whole hog" or "monkey on the chimney." What 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 kind of what's that detective work like? Uh, It's not uh,
1: absolutely different from studying or from learning the etymology of a a separate word. For example, you want to know the etymology of the word hog. Uh, All the same, you will have to do a lot of of work, of exploration. Uh, But in order to find out the origin of a word, you need something that I usually call linguistic algebra uh, because words are connected according to certain very often uh, recondite rules, and you have to learn a lot. You have to learn a lot of languages. Uh, if you study English, you have to know German. You have to know Scandinavian, and very often it will be Latin and Greek and Sanskrit. You have to find some root. Whereas uh, idioms, of course, are from this point of view much easier, and that's why the, this book can be a thriller to to the non-initiated, uh, uninitiated. I mean, uh, because you uh, uh, you don't have to know anything about the history of the word hog or hole uh, in order to, uh, to guess the meaning. But they're as obscure as separate words. You don't know the origin of the word hog. How do you go about it? Well, you have to take many university courses, many college courses, and then you will be able to, to learn it or not. Because at the end of your way, of a long road, you may be told that the origin is still unknown. There are thousands of words which have been investigated very well, and we still don't know how they uh, were coined. And it's the same thing with idioms. Uh, Sometimes we don't know anything about the origin. That is, it's very hard to, to explain why give up means to give up. And I'm not sure that I have ever read anything about it because these things are taken for granted. But when there is an idiom, which seems to have a double bottom go the whole hog well apparently it's something to do with hogs apparently and apparently with a, not with one uh, segment of this hog but with the whole hog and how does they go how do you go the whole hog and where do you go the whole hog and so on so that is how you begin to dis- to begin to look for the origin you first of all you try to find out when the idiom was coined because when the idiom was coined, it was probably even certainly transparent to those who coined it. They knew why they said so, but then they disappeared and we don't. And those, someone knew who said raining cats and dogs. It was not so mysterious at that time. It was probably not mysterious at all so you are left more or less with the same as a word. You have the word put, get, kick, get, dog, cat, and who coined these words? So you try to find the source of an idiom, who coined it, when, which is very important, under what circumstances, How wh- how were those idioms understood, but it's a very difficult process because all words and all idioms and all innovations go the same, uh, uh, follow the same uh, road, the same way. Uh, Somebody says something funny. Let's say go the whole hog since you cited it. And everybody laughs because they know what it means. (laughs) Then their children already know the meaning, but don't know why their parents used it. And then nobody knows it. And they begin to guess. and this guesswork is sometimes profitable and sometimes not. So, in order to find out the origin of an idiom, you have to try to find the earliest stages and the many opinions, because somebody in the hog industry, for example, uh, may know it or may not know it or may think that he or she knows it, but is greatly mistaken. People very often think, oh, yes, well, that's easy to explain. No, 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 uh, that is an illusion. So you try to do the explanatory work that more or less the way detectives do. That's why it's a thriller. Uh, you try to find out. Very often it's simply very many opinions, a matter of very many opinions. Some people think so, others people so, and then somebody may sometimes guess cleverly. And then it's not really that they prove something, but it seems reasonable. And that's usually as far as you go. Uh, yeah. Oh yes. So that is what it means. Oh, that hog. Uh huh. And and that's why you go the whole hog. Oh, so it's oh it's some from some sort of hockey game. So there was, were really no hogs, um, right. and and so on. Uh, so that's how you do it. Sometimes you find the the beginning, and sometimes you don't. Exactly as you are as 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 with separate words.
2: Yeah, that's great. You know, it's funny because you just I love the story of you just said about at some point, everybody's in on the joke and everybody understands the joke and laughs. But one thing your book made me do is it made me realize how even a phrase that's not mysterious anymore, like raining cats and dogs, you said, we don't even think that's odd anymore. People just say it without thinking about how strange it is. But your book, when you when you become an idiom detective, you start to notice just how strange these phrases are like whole hog or raining cats and dogs. Yes, that's absolutely right. It's absolutely right, and uh, that's why it is a thriller. Because
1: uh, after all, at the end of the thriller, you know the denouement, You know who who done it.
2: Right.
1: Uh, you know uh, who killed whom. Even if it is a very good uh, story, you uh, you will finally find out. And here you have a riddle with multiple uh, solutions, uh, and you can go on. You are. Yeah of the thriller and not only a consumer
2: yeah because every time you speak one of these idioms you're involved in the mystery
1: (laughs) that's exactly true and then there's of course that element of fun Uh, everybody loves idioms because uh, with the moment you begin to say something uh, like that people begin to smile a student is sitting uh, in front of me and i see that uh, the student is thinking of something else And I said, Tom, I think you've gone wool gathering. And everybody begins to laugh. uh, And uh, it's a good thing to say. And I said, do you know why we say to go wool gathering? Do you know what it means? Sometimes yes, sometimes no, as the case may be. Uh, Yes, no, I have no idea, but I know what it means, or I've never heard it. Well, then uh, open my book, so to speak.
2: Of course, that's not what I'll say to you.
1: (laughs) And you will find out whether there was any wool gathering there, and the story uh, begins to unravel.
2: Yeah. The book and it, it, it's so funny because if somebody said, uh, you know, I'm going to read the newest book by a, you know, pro, uh, by a professor of philology and linguistics, that stuff can be very very heavy, but your book has a very light touch. You of you, you are you are clearly having fun writing this book.
1: Every every I think that every good teacher turns uh, turns his or her subject into an, a source of fun. Yes. Not fun in the vulgar meaning that he... That everybody will now begin to giggle, uh, but because you see the beauty of investigation,
2: yes, yes, the,
1: the beauty of the process that's the like solving uh, uh, an equation, right. uh, like finding the answer to a good mathematical problem that's the fun, and not simply if I tickle you will begin to giggle, that's not fun,
2: right. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great intellectual, uh, you know, uh, fun game. It? Yeah, Did it's it? an adventure. Exactly, it's an adventure. So let I want to ask you about something else you said in your introduction, which really struck me. This really, really struck me when I read it. It's that this idea that English idioms are from a post-medieval culture. And you say that at the dawn of the Renaissance, so we're talking about, you know, the early modern period, that English painters and speakers gained perspective, and what you call signs of abstract thinking, and that idioms are one such sign of a new way to, to see the world and a new way to describe other people. Can you, can you talk about that shift in, in perspective and language?
1: Uh, we don't have a, a whole day for that. Uh, <laughs> so I'll try uh, uh, to be uh, not, not too long about it. But the problem is that the post-Renaissance period, when I say the post-Renaissance, let us say, uh, if you begin with Italy, um, after Raphael and Leonardo, so the uh, 15th century, with Shakespeare, it's a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And since we're in English, uh, let us more or less begin with the uh, with Elizabethans. So uh, Shakespeare died in 1616. Right. So let us begin with the 16th century or so. Uh, And this is when people learned a lot of things. Uh, I won't tell you why they learned them and how, because that's a very long story, but they invented many things. Uh, They stopped being part of a picture. That's when they they discovered the existence of perspective. Uh, Anyone who has seen uh, um, children's drawings uh, will know that they're beautiful things, but they're flat. And the same is true of medieval pictures. They're they're beautiful pictures, beautiful illustrations of saints' lives and so on, but they're flat. They're exactly like children's pictures because the artist is part of the canvas. The ability of of jumping out of the canvas and looking at at everything from some distance, that is the greatest difference between what may be called medieval and post-medieval uh, intelligence and or mentality uh, and at that time they began to use idioms that is they invented the beauty of a metaphor uh, medieval poets uh, sp- uh, used wonderful similes and epithets they could say uh, i think i i even uh, quote this my my beloved is a rose right but they my, my beloved is like, like a, a
2: rose. Like a rose, but yes. they
1: would never say my beloved is a rose. It seems such a very obvious thing uh, to do to say, but that's how it is. Perspective. They stopped. They were no longer tied to the direct meaning of what they said. That's why there are no idioms. Because if you say it's raining cats and dogs, you look up and look for cats and dogs. You had to step out. Uh, of this, to get perspective. Something that you call liter may call literary perspective or linguistic perspective. When you can say to someone, uh, uh, you are not in a hurry to kick the bucket and no bucket uh, anywhere around and no one is expected to kick the bucket. But that's a very important step away from the canvas. You are an observer and not only the master. Uh, There are early idioms, but they're either quotes from the Bible or translations uh, from Latin or Greek, but they're not genuine English uh, idioms. But all those cats and dogs are post-medieval.
2: Yeah, that's fascinating. That's a a fascinating moment in the history of the language. Indeed. Indeed so. So let's talk, you also tell a story about how you once tried to find the origin of the word heifer and how that fueled you over time to begin this project, right? So can you talk about the connection between, you know, that cow and this book?
1: <laughs> well, that will take me a few minute, seconds because otherwise I would have uh, I would have kept you here sitting for hours. That's okay. <laughs> one, day, uh, one, one day I saw the word heifer, English word heifer, and wondered what the origin of the word is. And of course, looked it up. And the answer was absolutely satisfactory, origin unknown. Uh, so this was quite a shock to me, uh, and I looked it up in another dictionary and another dictionary, and found that some people had some ideas. So I decided that I should find out what the origin of the word heifer is. But in order to find out what the origin of the word heifer is, I had to know what was written about this wor- work, uh, about this word, and that means looking up in dictionaries. The number of dictionaries is limited. You I looked it up in five or six dictionaries and that was it. Then I, by chance, ran into an article about this word. And it irritated me that I had never heard about this article. And that article had references to other articles. And I thought, how is it possible that there is no place in the world where you can look up the word heifer and find the literature on heifer? Because you can do it if you are studying, if you study German or French or, any Slavic language, there are dictionaries with the bibliography where you can find anything, but you look up um, even the great OED, which is after all, not an etymological dictionary, uh, but you look it up in Skeet. Skeet is the main etymological dictionary of English still, though it is more than hundred years old, there are no references. You know what Skeet thought about the word, and that's where you are. So I decided that I should save the world and, uh, <laughs> and produce such a bibliography and that was about I think, 25 years ago, uh, and I began to do it. And the project engulfed me, absolutely. Uh, volunteers and paid uh, assistance, and the odyssey uh, about how I got uh, the financial support about those who helped me. So as now, at the beginning of the 20th century, the University of Minnesota Press published my voluminous bibliography of English etymology you want to know the origin of any English word, look up. And all the articles are in my office, uh, but all the references are in my book. And while uh, studying the history of words, I naturally encountered many idioms. And I thought that should wait because I cannot do both things. Uh, And now I know that I will never write the entire dictionary. Uh, I need another 30, 40 or 50 years for that, which I obviously do not have. Uh, But uh, I have published uh, an introduction together with my friend and colleague. Uh, So uh, there is is a good, you can get a good idea of how it was done. Uh, But then I decided, it was about 10 years ago, I'll probably never write the entire dictionary unless I read until I'm a thousand years old. Uh, But I can do the same with idioms. And again, we collected idioms and... I knew that it was a project which you could begin and finish more or less, and that's how, from the uh, from the heifer uh, to cats and
2: dogs, that's the way. That's good. That's great. Again, more detective work. I love all the detective oh, work. Oh, it's out. all detective work. Yeah. It's all detective work. That's good. So I want to ask you about, it's funny you're talking about dictionaries. So one of my, one of my personal heroes is Samuel Johnson, the great lexicographer who wrote his English dictionary came out in 1755. And you probably know this. I'm sure you know this, his famous joke um, definition of lexicographer was in part it was a harmless drudge, a harmless drudge. <laughs> a harmless drudge. You
1: can't imagine how often this joke has been repeated. Yeah, I'm sure, everybody I'm sure. Everybody knows it, and every
2: lexicographer knows it, and everybody, everybody knows it. Yes, it's part of your... And,
1: and it's half true and half untrue. It's true in the sense that if you want to uh, to do something, it's not necessarily an etymology. Uh, Samuel Johnson was not a specialist in etymology. Right. He copied his etymologies from other sources. They were tremendously outdated. And today they are using the polite parlance of scholarship only of historical interest, which means they're not interesting at all.
0: Uh,
1: And, uh, well, of course.
2: Yeah, they're interesting to Johnson Johnson fans.
1: It's a a euphemism. Yes. Uh, (laughs) uh, But uh, if you want to do that hard work, then yes, you are a drudge. Mm -hmm. There is uh, no doubt about it. But when you come uh, to the end of the process, especially in etymology, uh, you're a detective. Uh, But before you become a detective, you have to do all the dirty work. So it's not drudgery, but it is harmless. That's (laughs)
0: Slash nbn fifty to get fifty percent off. You know, you you obviously
2: have a sense of humor. I said earlier that your book has a sense of humor, and you could see that in the epigraph you've chosen for for take my word for I it. Love so, for I, I love epigraphs too, and so and and I, I just want to give the the listener a sense of yours. So you quote an anonymous review from Notes and Queries of a book called Significant Etymology, in which the reviewer says this quote nothing is easier than to turn out a popular book on etymologies so can you talk about that choice of that
1: nonsense of course (laughs)
2: yeah
1: uh, yeah, it may be easy if you are if all you want to do is to copy from somebody else then yes but if you want to produce at least a modicum of novelty in your dictionary then then nothing is more difficult than doing that (laughs) of course if you are simply copying That's easy. And that's, of course, what what many people have done. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, You read it in this dictionary, you read it in that dictionary, you put them together and then you pretend that you have an opinion. Uh, Actually, you have no opinion. You have simply uh, used other people's words and other people's wisdom, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote. But if it is an original work, no original work is easy. Uh, But that epigraph is damning because because the author did everything wrong, uh, it, there was no accuracy in the book. There was no originality. And that is in all everything that he claimed, he failed miserably.
2: <laughs> and that's right there at the as the epigraph for your book, which is which I think is great. Yes,
1: ironically, if somebody <laughs> yeah. wants to uh, to
2: um, to tear me to pieces, fine, uh, I am prepared. You've um, already told them how to do it. You've already told them what to say.
1: No, no, of course. Of course we have known it all along.
2: <laughs> okay, let's move into the book and, and the actual idioms. How, about how many of them are there in your book? About uh, over a thousand. Over a thousand. Okay, great. Over a
1: thousand. And it's a very important question because uh, every lexicographer has to to uh, to ask uh, to, and to answer the question, where do I stop? Yes. Uh, and there are small dictionaries for children. There are uh, 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 collegiate Webster's uh, for, for anyone. Then there is the OED, uh, which is Oxford English Dictionary, mm-hmm. and which pretends uh, to have all the words in the world. And there is Big Webster's Dictionary, where you practically find everything you need. But again, it's not everything. Uh, the same with idioms. Uh, there are countless idioms. And in uh, while preparing uh, for our talk, I. Quite by chance, it's always by chance, of course. But these chance come—you—you you find the chance only if you if you are uh, prepared for them. Uh, there was a, a, a folklorist called Thomas Radcliffe, and this is a quote from him, which I liked very much. The old gossips—gossips, gossips of course, means old women in nineteenth okay. century and eighteenth century English. The old gossips still use hundreds of unrecorded sayings, which is true. Right. And uh, uh, I had to choose something. Uh, I also my my database, which is, I think you pronounce database, but mm-hmm. I still use my old fashioned pronunciation <laughs> database. Uh, and uh, my database is much larger than what I have uh, in the uh, in the book because I didn't want to 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 go on and on and on, and not to be, and didn't want to be too repetitive. And then I wanted some idioms. Uh, about which I could say something, though I did not exclude some of the idioms about which I could say nothing. In my index, I even have a line, uh, dictionaries, uh, no sorry, idioms, which have never been explained. So that one could go on and pick up where I have uh, left off. Uh, But my material was limited because I wanted to find only those idioms about which people have tried to say something. And uh, And if there was no discussion, then there is no idiom in the book. It doesn't pretend to exhaust the subject. And no one can exhaust it. Uh, There are dozens and dozens of old and new dictionaries of idioms. It's especially easier to do uh, if you deal with Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs are countless. And even the first dictionaries of of Proverbs were much larger than what we have today. and I excluded almost all proverbs because that's what everybody can find in in other books. And I was limited by my sources. That is the
2: journals which uh, I have explored. Yeah, let, can we talk about some of those? Let's talk about those. What were some of your, your, your you, you have all your sources after each entry, right? But what were some of the sources that you found very, very fruitful? So-called popular press.
1: Uh, that is something which is almost dead today. Uh, because there are professional journals. And if you want a linguistic question to answer, then uh, you uh, look it up in a linguistic source. But not too long ago, uh, when both of us actually were boys, even you and not only Mm. I, I'm considerably older than you are, but that's the same thing. You could find uh, good uh, answers about such things in Scientific American, for Mm -hmm. example. In times, uh, that is in so-called popular journals Uh, in in periodicals uh, uh, in Atlantic Monthly, for example, for a long time, there was a section there. All that is, I think, either totally or almost totally dead. Today, you can find such things only in professional journals and not too much of this stuff. But beginning with the end of the 17th century, uh, more in the 18th, and especially in the the 19th. These popular periodicals or journals, call them whatever you like, they brimmed with questions and answers. And some of the answers, as always, uh, were wrong. Some of them were very clever, and nobody has ever collected those answers. Uh, Though uh, one of the latest uh, uh, Dictionary of Idioms uh, does refer to notes and queries notes and queries is one of the wonders of the world
2: yes I remember reading notes and queries as an undergraduate so I remember it was it was, oh, you it was remember? A big, yeah I remember notes it's and queries sure.
1: it's an absolute now it's all online yes but uh, it's an absolute wonderful journal rather than oh, say periodical mm-hmm. uh, and everything uh, you want to know some genealog- genealogical uh information uh, about so and so right. A letter to know some queries. Two weeks later, you will get an answer.
2: Someone will answer you, yes. (laughs) Somebody
1: will know. Somebody will know. You have found a coin, and you cannot decipher the inscription. Write a letter to know some queries. (laughs) A week later, two weeks later, somebody will say, yes, yes, I know the coin, and that's what it is. And as to the language, blah, 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 blah. And among those questions, one finds hundreds, actually, thousands of questions about word origins and the origins of idioms. Uh, The clientele was mixed. Uh, Some of those people were professional, that is linguists, but 98% of them were not linguists. And they were amazingly well-educated. We cannot imagine how well-educated they are. Today, uh, with, uh, with our students known a million times less than than those people. We cannot even imagine how how clever those people were. That's why there is an index at the end of my my book explaining references to all the books, uh, history books, novels, and so on, about which none of us knows anything. Those were very well-educated people. They went to school. They had uh, six or seven years of Latin, two or three years of Greek, all beaten in them, Uh, into them very well. Uh, And they usually knew some foreign language, French as a rule. And their opinions were sometimes wrong, but they were seldom stupid. Uh, Stupid opinions appear there too. Uh, So it was very, uh, very interesting to see what people could say uh, about the origin of idioms. Something that there are people who know the value of these journals and uh, but and there is isn't the a bibliography for for notes uh, for notes and and um, and queries, uh, but no one has used this bibliography. You can just you have a list, and we opened every we that means my assistants we opened every page and copied every page, and I read every page and and summarized everything that has been said there, and sometimes it's great fun really, especially with cats and dogs. Uh, A lot of nonsense, absolute nonsense. And then suddenly at the end of the process, I ran into an answer which struck me as an absolutely correct explanation. Whether it is correct or not, I don't know. The same was with pay through the nose. Uh, All kinds of uh, references, all kinds of explanations which I knew right away were wrong. And then suddenly something which struck me as really correct. Now, whether it is correct or not, nobody knows, but it's the best uh, of all the answers and it makes sense. So that's why I uh, uh, thought it was very good. Probably the best, uh, in addition to Cats and Dogs, which is really the the greatest jewel in my crown, uh, there is one uh, which is equally good and that is um, where for which there are countless uh, countless answers uh, and uh, by hook or by crook it's unimaginable what nonsense people said about mr hook and mr crook <laughs> and uh, and so on you know those legendary uh, gentlemen never existed but everybody was sure uh, that they had existed and i think finally i ran into an explanation you know there is that quality uh, which characterizes truth when you see something which is true you suddenly feel
2: yes that's the way it is that's that's like that's your (laughs) detective's hunch
1: yes yes oh yes so that even if it's wrong it cannot be absolutely wrong that's a correct approach and uh, that's what i what i felt i must say that in general etymology is a very hard subject it's very hard Uh, the best scholars uh, do not agree Uh, about the origin of the simplest words, God, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, earth and and so on. Uh, But usually the simplest explanations are the best. The more complicated an explanation, the more suspicious it is. The Mm -hmm. truth somehow always
2: turns out to be simple well that's true in detective novels of course as well Of is that course, you, the most baroque, he's, he's yeah. it, uh, I should have guessed it myself Right exactly exactly of course. um well let's talk I have I cannot resist asking you about what let's talk about cats and dogs or hook up by crook or paying through the nose can you tell us the the the, the origins of one of those three phrases Any any one do you choose uh, Well uh, it's not
1: a very short explanation uh, uh, it seems that uh, paying through the nose uh, comes from uh, from the uh, from what happens on board a ship. Uh, so uh, pay means something like pull and it's the nose of the ship. That is it's a metaphor which was absolutely clear to uh, to seafaring people. Sure. And of course when you think about mm-hmm. your own nose uh, then uh, then everything is lost. Cats and dogs seems to be seems to go back uh, uh, to uh, uh, to, uh, to, um, to a metaphor from sports, Uh, the whole hog also from Mm -hmm. sports. Uh, That's the trouble with them, that uh, when you're raining cats and dogs, you think that you are dealing with real cats and real dogs. And it may be that there's a step away. Yes, there are cats and dogs, but not those quadrupeds which you want to discuss. And you pay through the nose, yes, the nose, but not the nose which is just, which is plain on your face, but some, s- somebody else's nose. <laughs> and you don't really pay uh, with hard cash. Uh, it's something else, and that's the trouble of, of, of such. Yeah. Uh, with the same with hook and crook, uh, no gentleman, as I said, called Mr. Hook and Mr. Crook. Uh, and uh, and it's probably a metaphor from forestry, from medieval forestry, and that makes sense. Uh, it may be wrong, uh, One never, within etymology, one never knows the so-called absolute truth. There may be someone who knows a better explanation, but at least uh, with a dictionary like mine, and of course, I'm only uh, the last of many people who have tried to do this this thing. Uh, with, with this work, you at least could, could, can ignore nonsense, uh, which is a very important step in etymology. Forget a lot of nonsense. Uh, that has been said, uh, that narrows down uh, your vision, and which is very good. So you know more or less where. Again, as I say, uh, like in a detective story, uh, yeah. with what Poirot did in Agatha Christie's books. No, that's no, that no, no, that's un- improbable, and that's right. improbable. Let's try this. Let's try that, and then finally you uh, narrow it down the circle of of uh, murderers and. The murderer emerges. Only that in my work, the murderer is still only a suspect. Uh, but that's as much as you can expect.
2: <laughs> you can get a better suspect. That's right. You have to eliminate all the red herrings like Mr. Crook and Mr. Hook are red herrings. They yeah, seem okay, reasonable, absolutely. but but they don't exist. Absolutely.
1: And why you draw a red herring across the path is also a very interesting. Also... <laughs> I didn't include it because the origin is known very well. Yes. It's known exactly where it came from. And somehow, for some reason. It has never been discussed in my in
2: in my sources. Hmm. All right. Well, let's. You know, as I went through your highly highly addictive book, you know, I found many idioms that I've never heard before. So we're mentioning all these famous ones, but I heard ones. I mean, I could almost open up at random. I heard ones like "um side pocket to a toad," or something <laughs> useless. Um, have a, to have a soul above buttons is to be very honest. I think that was great. That's... And the one, of, the tune the old cow died of. As, as a way to describe a, an ill played piece of music, I thought these were great. So, can you talk about some of the oddest idioms that that you discovered and how to do some detective work on for this? Well,
1: point? let me let me
2: quote what's uh, right. Look again. <laughs> uh, the old gossip still use
1: hundreds of under. <laughs> That's, <the> right. <laughs> That's exactly uh, exactly where we are. Uh, I, I've heard more or less the same thing from uh, from my colleagues. Uh, just what you said. Uh-huh. Uh, nobody knows. All these idioms, just as nobody knows all the words in the uh, Webster's dictionary, and you're not supposed to. Uh, some of the idioms uh, are local; uh, they are British uh, in most cases, but uh, they are rather international too. Uh, some of the most obscure idioms uh, may have come from from India. That's the cheese, for example. Oh, because,
2: really? <laughs>
1: because yes, that's the Indian Anglo-Indian jargon. Uh, where cheese uh, in Urdo, I think, that uh, means thing. So that's the cheese was a joke, meaning that's the thing. And then the people began to guess what kind of cheese it was. Uh, there is a wonderful idiom there, uh, fox's wedding. Uh, that means, uh, uh, that is what they say uh, when there is rain and sunshine at the same time. There's a whole book tracing, uh, tracing the history of this expression. Why fox? Why wedding? It also seemed to have started in in India. You may never have heard about Fox's wedding. Neither had I before I began working uh, on this dictionary. And many of these idioms remain local. Also, some of my sources are old. Uh, Those idioms perhaps were known in, let us say, 1850 or 1860, and now no longer known even even in that county. So despite the British uh, predominance of the British element, most idioms are still, most of the best idioms are still international. Also, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the English, uh, that is the colonists, came to the United States just at the time of the Renaissance. Uh, Shakespeare died in 1616, so we're a few, a few years after the pilgrim, and, sure. uh, and uh, they uh, brought their idioms to the United States, what is called an Americanism. So sometimes it is an Americanism, uh, a blue plate dinner, uh, because it's something that started in the United States. But many of those idioms are probably American, but have never been recorded in Britain. Uh, so they are not really American. They were, they uh, appeared, emerged Uh, in American English, but they are probably British. So even though there is such a strong British element uh, in this book, it's really a book book that can be called international from, then there are so many which owe something to French idioms uh, that is British uh, when you look at them,
2: but really international. Okay, that's that's fascinating. Oh, let me let me let me up the ante to use another idiom. Uh, for for our, you know, my last big question for you is this: is that you know, I have I had so much fun, and I still have fun going through this book, and it, it's so addictive. Like I said, it's like it's like a great thriller. But what are some of the big conclusions that a reader of this book can make about language and about how language you know operates from from a, a book as as playful as this? What are some of the big takeaways about how how language works? Well, I think that if someone uh, re- nobody will probably read the book the way you
1: have from, uh, sure. from beginning to end. And nobody is expected to do so. Though I think that the book, that the material is so interesting that if someone opens the book, uh, it's it's almost, uh, it, it will work almost by its Oh, in and by, by its own attraction, so to speak. I have read this interesting idiom. And what's the next one? Yeah. Uh, uh, because when you read simply words, you probably don't want to know all the words beginning with the letter B uh, right. or with the letter F. Uh, but here, uh-huh, that's how it is. What is the next one? Uh, I think there is some uh, some attraction in the material. I, of course, don't expect anyone to read the book from beginning to end, Uh, but I think that those who will read enough uh, will learn something about the playful element of language. Uh, They will uh, find out how many people are interested in what they are interested, so that they are not exceptions, but they are in good company. Uh, And I think the reading is addictive in a certain way. Uh, You begin to read it, you want more and more, You see how language operates, Uh, you see how rich our resources are, how little we know about them in comparison to what really exists. I think it's a good educational tool and I think it's a good uh, cultural envoy
2: to the world. Yeah. That's a great way to describe it. Yeah, it's a great, it gives you a great sense of, of how little we know about things we take for granted every day.
1: That's absolutely so. Uh, It seems that, you know how often, you probably don't know very often, children are asked, that—that that is who are seven, eight, or nine years old, Uh, how many words do you think you know? I know all the words, (laughs) of course, (laughs) of course. (laughs) I've heard this, I've played this game many times, and the answer is absolutely natural.
2: Are there any words I don't know? Yes. A yeah. few. There's a few. There's a few. A <laughs> few still left. Well, it was it was great talking to you today. Do you have any other uh, projects you you you, you want to get to next, or anything? You anything that's grabbed your enthusiasm now? Uh,
1: I don't know. Uh, my projects uh, always in in engender other projects. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, I'll of course go on uh, with uh, with words, uh, collecting and an update bibliography. Uh, after all, it appeared almost 20 years ago, mm-hmm. and it's always extremely interesting to see what has been written since the year 2000. Uh, so I'll keep writing about these things and I have uh, I have been commissioned to write several uh, several papers for uh, for all kinds of editions, and uh, uh, I'm going to develop some of them. Uh, there is still enough work for me to do, and I hope to be able to do at least some of it before I say say goodbye to my profession.
2: Okay, well, I wish you all the best in that because I I urge everybody to, to get a copy of Take My Word For It. The author is Anatoly Lieberman. It's a fascinating read. It's also, you could tell by our conversation, so much fun. Anatoly, thank you so much for talking to us today.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me. It has really been a source of enjoyment. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you.